Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Tennis and Bagels. I was going to say tennisandbagels.com. I think I'm just way too into like work right now. Just everything is web and digital. So yeah, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. We talk. Uh, about tennis and um yeah i'm here again joined by uh owen from popcorn tennis how are you doing man doing well it's yeah. been a while since we did one of how's these, popcorn so doing should be an adventure uh doing well um not a ton yeah. of big events going on right now so gonna try nice. to ramp up coverage soon. and Vansh, how you doing man doing pretty good um Came back from vacation as soon as Wimbledon was was over, and uh, been following as much as I can. I usually don't follow as much during this time of the year, but I've been uh, I've been following a lot mm. more than than I usually do in previous years because there've yeah. been some some great storylines and um, some some good things to analyze yeah. and talk about. So, and post Wimbledon clay, uh, and ca- kind of now in North American hardcore swing starting. So it's uh, cool. It's all, and it's all uh, we uh, yeah, like uh, there's obviously like. During this little span between Wimbledon and uh, um, American Hardcore, there's a bunch of like European clay court events, which some people call them random. But I guess like the, the nature of tennis, like as oh. long as there's tournaments that you can fit in the calendar and there's budget, like why not? Players need money and points anyway. So yeah. Um, and we had a few in the WTA, which is, by the way, like... It has been kind of suffering a bit, like right in terms of a number of tournaments played, like by the beginning of the year, they had really yeah. very few tournaments. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, like, at this time of the year, like, at, or pretty much at any point, like, tournaments are very much welcome. And we had our very own world number one, Iga Shiontak, playing uh, in her home uh, in Warsaw. Um, so what do you guys make of it, of her week in general? Yeah, first of all, this was... Um... It was good to see Sviantek back playing. Um, obviously, Wimbledon didn't go as as well as she would have liked, losing to Cornet in the in the third round. But nonetheless, we got a chance to really appreciate this amazing streak that she was on of thirty seven matches in a row, and you know, longest in, in the two thousands. And she she's playing in her hometown. First time I I saw I saw the stat. She's the, this is the first time she's played um, a WTA two fifty in three years. So like, it is pretty insane because it goes to show how smart her scheduling has been how much she's dominated the big events and how um little little other events that she's really played like throughout the throughout her last two, two or three years that she's been dominating so um so then she plays in warsaw and i think you know two things happen one she played an opponent who is really in form right now garcia you know had a great run in wimbledon she beat raducanu before that she won that tournament in bad Homburg. she beat bianca Andrescu in the final down a set in a break um, she used to be with the world number four in 2017. She had this stint at the end of the year where she won two 1000s and got to the semifinals of the year in championships, beating great players along the way. So we know she's capable of this kind of tennis. And what she did in this match is sort of what, uh, if you were to create like sort of a game plan against Fiontech, which is really high risk and very, very few players can execute. And that is like attacking the second serve. And that's what she did extremely well and she not only attacked it she went for winners off of the second straight up off the second serve and that is extremely hard to do against Shantek because she defends really well after the serve and then she turns the point around and goes on offense and she was having a hard time doing it in this match because uh, she was stepping in taking the second serves early on both the forehand and the backhand like just hitting shots as with so much pace and going down the line really often in rallies and just not really letting Shiontek settle, just making her really uncomfortable, making her doubt that shot, making her go bigger on that wing. And, um, you know, if Shiontek has a slight weakness, it's maybe that her second serve is just as a shot alone is maybe a little bit attackable, but it's, 
you know, she's, we know how difficult that's been to, to do to her. And only really Yelena Ostapenko and Danielle Collins and players like that, who, when they're really in form and having a red hot day, can, can really do that to her. So that's kind of what she did. But Shrantek still fought back. She still won the second set, 6 1. She lost the first set, 1 6. And then she broke um, when Garcia was serving for the match at 5 3. And then she had two game points to hold for 5 all. So I think, you know, there were parts of her game she probably wanted to probably want to clean up. But I think also she was playing at home and she probably felt a little bit of pressure, you know, because it's her home event. It's in Poland. Um, before that, she played like a charity event with Red Wanska. And, you know, there was just, and that was on a hard court. And now this is on a clay court. Now she's going to go back to a hard court again, where I think the next step for her. So in, in terms of long term, it's not really too much of a worry. It's just more, you know, maybe people, players in the locker room might look at this and go, okay, hmm. So now she's two and two after going, you know, winning 37 matches in a row. But I don't think it, it really shakes up her confidence much. I think she'll go back to the drawing board and she'll try to focus on what's really important the next step for her, which is just performing better in hardcore mm-hmm. majors. And she already has an Australian Open semifinal this year, mm-hmm. which um, I think yeah. I think will give her a lot of confidence. And of course, she's yeah. one of the favorite, favorites. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not really worried by this. Like, I think it would be easy to look at this and say, like, okay, she really needs to improve her serve. But... And by all accounts, Garcia did completely demolish it. I mean, she hit three return winners in her very first return game. And then she right. hit a return winner on match point. But I don't know. I kind of look at this and say, like, that's too good from Garcia. Because yeah. y- you can point out that Sviantek's second serve is not the best in the world. But all the same, like, no one has been able to punish it like this in 37 matches. And so, like, when Collins did it at the Australian Open, she didn't miss a single second serve return that entire match. And when you look at what Garcia did here, it was just all power, all accuracy all the time. Like, that's not something her opponents or or anyone um, is going to be able to do regularly. So I'm sure she's working on the surf because it's probably the weakest part of her game. But, you know, it's not it's not like an alarm bell or anything like she's still going to win the vast majority of the time. Like you said, Vaughn, she was able to make this match really close despite getting breadsticked in the first set. Um so yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of inevitable that there would be a little bit of a cool down after you win 37 mm-hmm. matches in a row. Um, but yeah, I still expect great things for, from yeah. her uh, for I the hope, rest of the uh, season. And obviously she's a very smart uh, player. She has She's one of the first players really to like be open about like working with a psychologist and things like that. So she will try her best to avoid any sort of mental... like issues that she might have like in terms of like mental blocks or like too much questioning but it, it's definitely something to wonder like when you go on the streak like that like is, it, is this going to impact her in the sense that like will she be worried that she will never be able to like pull off like the same level of uh um that of the you know the incredible streak of like even sets one not even just matches but like she's wanting like something like 28 sets in a row or something like that um but yeah um it's it i'm not necessarily worried like you said but like i think it's just something that i think it's worth keeping an eye out like for like how she comes out playing like her next matches is she going to be more conservative is she going to go all out still i think i still think she's going to go all out i think that she will um keep pushing to try to find a way i think she's still pretty motivated like in her young career like i feel like the things that worry me most about like a player not playing well is just kind of like losing motivation after like doing well, I guess sort of in a sense what happened to Barty um, after she decided just to retire just because she didn't really want to do it anymore. So I guess if Barty had decided, for example, to keep playing, I don't think she would have kept the same level because she was just wasn't motivated, right? Um, but yeah, in terms of the future, I do think that Shriantek will definitely be eyeing the US Open. I think she's accomplished a lot in the 1000s level and uh she's won again uh at a grand slam level a grand slam that she was basically supposed to win and she pretty much dominated it um but i think that really next step for her and what i think that she knows it and that she wants it is to win a grand slam um on hardcore or on another surface really other than clay and i think the u.s open could be a really good opportunity for her to try that out and see how it goes um, so, yeah, I definitely think that we should yeah. be seeing Sviantek um, on, like, firing on, firing on all cylinders at the U.S. Open. But I definitely think that we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, improvements and, like, little tweaks on her game, like, already in Cincy and in Canada. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And she can only go up in those places. And I think you're in good shape when the game plan against you is to redline. <laughs> I think that means you're yeah. you're pretty you're pretty secure for the most part. And you know, during her clay season, she only dropped three total sets. Like once Garcia won the second, you know, won the first set here. So yeah. like she totally dominated the entire clay season. Mm-hmm. So not yeah. not too worrying. And it's good for Garcia because she won the whole tournament and she didn't drop a set. Uh, along the way, the rest of the the rest of the way, and she won her next two matches quite comfortably. And she's uh, she's definitely put together a really nice run here. And uh, you know, let's see if she can uh, she can also continue it into yeah. the hard court. So, yeah, um, yeah, Vanjay, I think you make a good point about when the game plan to beat you was to redline because, like, if you redline successfully, that's going to work against yeah. anyone. Like, I think an interesting case of that was um, with uh, Sebastian Corda against Nadal at um, Indian Wells. I think. You know, he's not as good of a player, but he blasted the ball as hard as he could and he made a bunch of shots. And so it works really well for a while. Um, And so no one is immune to an opponent redlining successfully. Um, And so I think, like, it could happen to Sviantek again in the future, but, like, that's always a danger for every player, no matter how good you are. Um, And Andre, what you were saying about burnout, um, I think it's kind of interesting that. like if I were her and um, I, I'm sure she like has the best idea of what to do on her team, but if I were her, I might try to shift my focus from like trying to start another winning streak, maybe to like yeah. trying to win a big event in isolation. Um, because I feel like historically, like it's not sustainable to like dominate for that long. Like by which I mean, I feel like when players do it more often than not, they get burned out. Like I feel like with Djokovic, a lot of the time we've seen, he can win like three majors in a row and destroy everyone and then show up at a masters 1000 and look almost bored. Um, and you know, every player is different and I'm not saying that would happen to Sviantec, but I feel like over the long term, focusing on the big events or maybe putting a little extra stock in the big events is more sustainable than putting pressure on yourself to win every match all the time. Um, not saying that, that that's what she did in the winning streak. I actually thought she did a great job of maintaining perspective and not, saying to herself, like, I need to, like, keep mm-hmm. the streak going as long as possible, yeah. even though she did a great job of that. Yeah, for sure. I think she was yeah. actually prepared that it would end soon, yeah. and she would. And mm-hmm. I think how she responds to that is, is, um, is going to be, it's going to be worth uh, telling because she's, you know, she had, like, a little bit of a blip last year as well, and then she responded brilliantly, and when Ash Party became number one, she filled yeah. that void like it was nothing, do, uh... so. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it shows I do, I do like what you said though, like about like the fact that it was home and I guess most players, if not all of them, do have a special place for their home tournaments, even as, as small as they are. They always like to come back and play in front of their home crowds and it always means something special to them. Um in a way that of course like they all wanna win the biggest tournaments, but it, I feel like the home tournaments just it, it's just kind of like performing well in front of your parents type of thing. <laughs> so yeah. Um so it yeah. Yeah. she's a really big star in entire town she's yeah, absolutely. Such, a, such a big yeah. star in Poland like when I was watching the final the, the stands yeah. were almost half empty um, and not because Garcia isn't a great player but just because she, yeah. she really kind of drives the, you know, the conversation so yeah. yeah but yeah like I feel like she she's obviously want to yeah. she obviously wants to come back to to the tournament to, to the home tournament she probably wants to win it at some point um so yeah, we'll see more of her next, but I don't think this holds that much stock actually. Like as we were saying, like about what she's going to be doing yeah. in the next couple tournaments. Yeah, yeah you, you mentioned home yeah. event, and oh wait, sorry, go, go, ahead, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I was just gonna say, um, like, would you guys agree she's still the favorite for the U.S. Open? Like, I think given what she's achieved on one thousand level events on hard courts, um. Like she would be the favorite for me. Like, n- not to say um, not as big of a favorite as she was at Roland Garros, but like I think she's still significantly yeah. above the rest of the field. Yeah, I'd I'd put her as a favorite, yeah. but you know, not as big as she yeah. Was in, I would say like she's Garros, a she's it. a favorite as the world number one, but I don't think she she is like. I think we if we were to actually like have a predictions game or type of thing, like we'd we would definitely see a lot of variation. Um, and it obviously will depend on how well other players do, like on the um, warm-up tournaments, like Osaka, for example. Should she be uh, actually like interested and um, eager to win and fit, and hope um, actually plays a couple matches? I think she she could still like 
pull herself above above and um really come back and win another one i don't i don't think that's too far from her to do that so um but yeah like right now in terms of form i would yeah. still if i had to put my money on somebody definitely probably would be on the attack at this point yeah um osaka is an interesting player to watch going forward because i mean this is her favorite time of the season the hard courts um she recently split with her coach wim facet i think they had been together for a few years um and um, and later today, she's playing uh, Zhang, who took a set off Sviantec at Roland Garros. Um, she was doing such a great job of hitting the ball with pace and weight, but also throwing in drop shots. So that's a very tough match right away, mm-hmm. um, which will be interesting. Yeah, yeah for sure. And Sviantec, um, I mean, sorry, Osaka, I think it's easy to forget yeah. like she made the Miami final this year. Yeah. Like, she had, like when she's been healthy and when she's been motivated, she hasn't played bad. Like, you know, at the Australian Open, she lost from two match points up to... Uh, you know, Amanda Nisimova who's having an amazing year and played a fantastic match. So I think um I think it's it's really good that she's playing San Jose, um, Toronto, Cincinnati. I think she'll definitely get a lot of matches in. The coach thing, I I, I hope she figures, you know, someone out like you know, that can help her, I think, in during this time. But I think her, her tennis is like right there. Like, you know, no coach I think is gonna really like there's not like many issues mm-hmm. in her game that you'd need to you need to like really, really fix. Yeah, I, I, I think she's um, saying her dad is her primary coach now. Who mm-hmm. and he had been in the past, so she said like yeah. it's going to be nice to return to that. Um, I think she said she like mm-hmm. felt a bit less pressure when working with him. Um, and yeah, it's, I still think when she's when she's playing her best in this, I think mm-hmm. she's the best player on hard court. Like, yeah, just hard court alone. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think the Miami final makes me feel a little less like that just because Fiontech mm-hmm. was so imperious in that final. But yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I largely agree with you. Like, it's easy to forget, given what's happened in the past year, she's won two of the last yeah. three U.S. Opens and two yeah. of the last three Australian Opens. Yeah. Like, that's that's dominant. So, or two of the I last. Do, four I do think Australian that she was Opens, so. far below, not far um, below, but she was um, considerably below her best, like in the Miami final. That she was a lot more vulnerable than she would normally yeah. be. But um, yeah, obviously, like Fiontek did fantastic job. Otherwise, because as you said, like she's reached the final. Uh, maybe she was a bit tired, uh, as in my eyes she was, but like, no, nothing, all credit to Viontek, because if she played a poorer level, definitely uh, Osaka would have been back in that match, for sure. So, yeah. And I'm going to yeah. piggyback, I'm going to um, steal your uh, segue bunch. As we spoke about home tournaments before, uh, there was another guy that everyone is happy to see playing well, and he was also playing in his home tournament. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, when, I, when okay. I was talking about the home tournament, by the way, I, w- I just wanted to mention how this this um, this oh, stack yeah. from this the, final in the, Prague, <laughs> in the Prague tournament because um, Mary Buskova was um, who I was referring to who won who won Prague, um, not Krajikova who won it last year, but um, Mary Buskova wins the final against Anastasia Ponipova, hitting zero winners. I've never seen that before in a final of a of an event. <laughs> any event at any level to be honest <laughs> so it's this it was just quite crazy to see because um you know Potapova is obviously like a really big hitter and she beat Kondovate earlier in the week but in this final um she really didn't play a good match and she made 12 winners and 44 unforced errors and Mary Buskova just I don't think this is how she she always plays like kind of like a like a Madison Bringle where it's just you know sort of waiting for your opponent to implode but I think in this case she probably did it really well and one six oh six three. So yeah. just wanted to throw that in there. It, it's a cool example of how like there's not a right yeah. or wrong way to win a tennis match. Like you yeah. can absolutely win barely hitting any winners. Um, you know, four errors is not a stat we see very often, but those are very relevant. And you can mm-hmm. also win by just letting your opponent implode. Like that yeah. that should not be spoken of as sort of like an improper or like lesser way to win a match because it can yeah, be absolutely. devastatingly effective. Like the more you get into the mind of your player, yeah. of your opponent, like the better it is for you. Like you don't want to, like, of course, like you, for the fan, it's always better like see a Titanic match in which like both players are actually like playing at their best and not giving, not, not giving much of a, of an inch of to, to, to their opponents. But like for the player, like the less effort that they need to make in order to win a match, the better. <laughs> so um yeah if they can if they yeah. are able to make their opponent play bad well that's the strategy that they will strive for <laughs> so yeah sort of like how owen says about yeah. Djokovic all like, the time. something i <laughs> something i was thinking about recently was um 
sometimes when I watch like the best players in the world play on both tours um, against a player who they're much better than, sometimes I'll think like, why aren't they like hitting close to the lines? Like, I know they can hit these shots. Like, why aren't they doing it? They're basically hitting down the middle. Um, and then I'll realize after the match, which they probably win in straight sets, um, it's because they don't have to. Like, why would you hit close to the lines if you can win by hitting down the middle? Mm-hmm. Hitting down the middle is safer. So you should only do like what you have to do to win. Like, there's no need to cross a ball into the corner when hitting it like with 75% depth yeah. is enough to win the point. Yeah, particularly if you're a little low on confidence, it doesn't hurt to hit the safer targets and still hit big and play aggressive, but just sort of, you know, have more margin in your game. And I think that's something a lot of tennis coaches say as well. So I think it's it's yeah. a good general base to have. Yeah, and uh, speaking of also but, uh, margin, like how do you guys rate Dominic team? Uh, now that we already settled that the segue was done. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, uh, just as a player or recently? Uh, yeah, I mean, I like what I've seen the last couple of tournaments. Like he, he had a very, very rough patch for a long time, but I think he's made a couple quarterfinals, semifinals back to back now. He got a good win over Batista Agut, who's a high ranked player. Um, yeah, mm. I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah, for me, um, Dominic Team is like such a feel good top player. Like he makes me really happy. Like watching him play, you know, is like was one of my favorite things in 2020 and 2019 when he was at his best. And then you know, seeing how he's sort of struggled with the wrist injury and then how he like re-injured it while he was coming back. And then how he's had to, you know, make some technical changes like to, to, to offset that injury. Like he has really come a long way. I think since when he was on that 10 match losing streak and when he lost to Hugo Delian in the first round of the French open, I was really concerned because I was like, you know, we might not see him back to his best for a really long time. And he might have to drop down at the lower level and play, quite a bit, but actually he played one challenger, won a match, lost the next one, and then played three three of these 250s on clay. And he 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 made it a quarterfinal, semifinal, and quarterfinal. And he beat some good players in there. He beat and a lot of these matches were, you know, swing seesaw type matches, three setters, where he got to hit a lot of balls. He got to work a lot on his forehand. He got to his backhand has always been has been pretty good, like even throughout this whole year and especially down the line and he can do a lot of damage with it just in rallies and he, he has a lot more variety on that wing. And now he's, um, you know, now he's like half his ranking and he's in the top 200. And I think that's a big deal for him because I think looking at next year or by the clay season next year, or by even the Australian open, I think we could really see him um, making a push. Cause I think that his, I think the physicality is getting better. And I think even though he didn't win any of these tournaments, I feel pretty good i was feeling really good after stad when he got to the semis and played berrettini and berrettini yeah. played like an amazing match and beat him in straight sets um but then in this tournament i actually thought playing at home i think there was a lot of added pressure that he probably felt um especially because looking at his draw it seemed like you know he was going to get to the final just purely because of how that draw was and how he was playing but he actually never really looked quite free to me like throughout the whole week he only played uh three matches and in the in the third match against Yannick Hoffman, that was a match which was um, which I think he probably feels like he should have won because he had um, two break points to and then he would have served for the match and I think he had the momentum and he won the second mm-hmm. set and then there was like a rain delay and then Hoffman like came back at him and I think it was a little tough because he you know at his best I think what he likes to do is stand really far back on the return and hit, hits with a lot of depth and then just steps on that baseline right after that and he's just pummeling forehands and I think he couldn't quite find that balance because he was trying to adjust and actually try to return closer in but every time he tried to do that he couldn't really get a great read on the backhand return and Hoffman's kick serve was was um was bothering him a bit and he wasn't getting the depth that he normally does on his return and so he was kind of indecisive about whether he should stay in and you know block the return or whether he should go back and every time he went back he, his return wasn't wasn't landing deep enough so Hoffman was mm-hmm. doing a lot of damage on the plus one or hitting a drop shot afterwards mm-hmm. and I think that was just something that I, something that I noticed, and you know maybe the the big point play wasn't quite as, uh, quite as sharp in terms of week to week like he had done from yeah. start to catch ball and, you know, or the previous two tournaments. So I think, but I think it doesn't really matter in the long term. Um, you know, he may have missed a slight chance, but, you know, I think I think his goal is much bigger than, um, than another catch ball title. 
and then RBA won that mm-hmm. title and played really well. But yeah. um, but now I think he's going to play Cincinnati and Winston Salem, and he's going to give it a go at the U.S. Open. And if he gets some momentum in those two yeah. tournaments, he could be dangerous in the U.S. Open yeah. in the first week. You know, I don't think a top player would mm-hmm. want to would want to yeah. draw him if he's yeah. got this much confidence. So. Yeah. I, yeah, I think crucially the forehand is coming back like that. It, it's not; it's still not at the levels it was. But now I think when he hits it, it's it's got that punch behind it again. Um, yeah, which it's is the forehand that like I was looking at, and yeah. he seemed the least um, comfortable. But I guess as you say, you was probably a little tight as well, and it, it's the home tournament, and probably a little bit of like tightness because of the injury. There's like a, probably something that he evaluates like almost like on a daily basis, like just to make sure that everything is like um, in place <laughs> and. So, um, yeah, definitely the forehand was lacking quite a bit of spin, like as you normally used to, like back in 2020, uh, when that forehand was just massive. So I guess like that's the one thing that he's, he's lacking a bit, like his attacking game is, is a little off, but like, obviously like, uh, it's something that probably gets with match practice as well. Hopefully the spin uh, is not something that like is too much affected by um, his wrist injury, hopefully something that he get, he's able to get back because it was a major part of his uh, of his game. Um, but also very, very optimistic about the way that he's been moving and defending. Like his defenses have been pretty insane. Um, not a lot of players have been able to hit through him. And if he's already been able to win points by just putting the ball back in, like he he's just one step closer to being able to like become like a player... That will most likely be back into the top ten at some point if he can get his attacking levels like to the same level as he used to be because his defense is pretty much settled. So like it's 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 a very good like there's just nothing much to say about it. Yeah, yeah, and I imagine you're probably making a lot of um, adjustments when you go through an injury like that on your on your forehand, just like small little technical things that maybe you kind of have to go back and remember sort of how you used to hit that shot before, and yeah, you kind of maybe doubting yourself a little bit more because you're afraid of like re-injuring it again, or you you want to make sure that your, you know, your, your forehand is back to its yeah. optimal, optimal level. But I think he's yeah. getting closer to figuring that out and he's, yeah. he's doing mm-hmm. a little bit more damage with it than he used to before. He was very, very passive with it sort of earlier in the season. Yeah. And yeah. that was the one difference. Yeah. No, go so, on. I was going to go ahead, Andre. switch topics. So if you want to say something more, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was too. Uh, w- what did you guys think about uh, the uh, yeah. final between uh, Carlos Alcaraz and Dionic? Yeah, I, I think like bigger picture though for Carlos, right? Like a lot of people were sort of wondering, you know, why is he playing these tournaments um, post Wimbledon? And I was trying to figure that out as well. But then I then I sort of realized that he actually hasn't played that much like the whole year because he skipped a lot of like the pre warm ups before the Australian Open. He didn't play Rome, and he's that been pretty huge. wise yeah. about ma- ma- managing his schedule. And um, and when he played Hamburg, you know, he he was far from his best in some of those matches. I mean, he he beat um, Hachanov six zero six two, and he was like getting closer to his level. And then he, and then you know, he lost to he lost to Musetti. But you're thinking, okay, you know, maybe you'll just rest, get ready for the hard courts. But I think he wanted to go and defend Umag as well. So then he then he plays there, and he he's sort of kind of the same way. Like you know, I I think we we finally saw him sort of show what's very common for a lot of younger players, which is, you know, sort of, he created these, he, he did such amazing things earlier in the year, like in Madrid and, you know, Indian Wells and Miami and winning those four titles. And, and then now he's sort of, you know, I don't want to say reverted, but he's sort of, he, he's sort of showing that, you know, there are still, there's still ways to go before he's quote unquote going to dominate the game. Like, you know, people are saying, and maybe those expectations are, too high in the beginning but i don't really think it changes much for him you know long term like i think these are just two finals in isolation mm-hmm. he still got to top four he's still yeah. two in the race he's still you know probably has a realistic chance of finishing the year number one or number two like just looking at yeah. you know the rest of the field right now <laughs> your so possible like, world number one is overhyped at the end of the year so so i, I think it's crazy to say mm-hmm. that he's overhyped when he's achieving these things at 19 i mean he's yeah. probably the best prospect since djokovic he's probably the most accomplished teenager since nadal like i mean those are just the facts yeah. um that the stats bear out and now it just and he, he can lose you know just because like do we have to have this conversation every time yeah. he like loses a match that he's overhyped <laughs> i mean i just think like if you just look at his losses this year right like he's lost okay twice to center now and just this is the first time he's lost from a setup 
like in any of his matches yeah. and just he had one bad loss that was to Corda in the first round of Monte Carlo like in mm-hmm. intense wins yeah. after playing in Miami yeah. like I think that's that's and fine you know bearing in mind that like <laughs> he won I think the first five finals that he's played so he was obviously due to like um one yeah. loss here and there like obviously he you could say that in a sense those are bad losses like but like obviously Sinner is not a bad loss actually Sinner is obviously a top 10 player he's solid um he's only 20 years old as well so like Sinner has had his own figuring out to do um so it seems like he's getting there Sinner yeah. seems to be um a much older player just because he's been kind of pretty much up there for for a while now um kind of like in a sense like how people used to talk about um about Felix and how long has it been there it's just it's just 21 years old but like yeah so those are the, the the things that like those players need to figure out and Sinner was able to figure out how to win ugly <laughs> pretty much last year and then he's kind of figuring out how to like bring his best level as well so that he can actually keep up with like those best players and um take a chance when they're not playing their best uh, or like exploring um the shots that those players kind of like yeah. maybe are struggling with such as like the Alcaraz um, second serve or the Alcaraz serve like in general. So, yeah, I, I'm not, yeah. You know, Sinner for me is like, it's interesting, like, because, you know, a lot of people have sort of been like, you know, his his year overall, like this was the first time he got past the quarterfinals of like any event. And like, you know, he, this was his first title, but, but mm-hmm. actually he's had like a really good year. Like if you look yeah. at it, it's just that he's not, you know, he's not been healthy for like, mm-hmm big parts of it like i remember in miami he wasn't like really healthy and at, at the french open he was like destroying rublev and then you know then he got hurt mm-hmm. just kind couldn't of unfortunate. Even the match, yeah. couldn't even finish the match so like and he's just mm-hmm. he's just improved you know a lot like you know his baseline consistency his serve is getting better and better every time i watch him and he's got such a like calm demeanor and like such an even game like his baseline game off of both Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wings and how he's returning and and now he's figured out, now he's done some things in both matches that I think are quite notable. I think it's pretty healthy actually for the game to have Alcaraz sort of like raise the level to a point where like you're now seeing Musetti and Sinner raise their game as well. And Musetti actually said that after the Hamburg final. He said, you know, Alcaraz, we've seen um, Alcaraz's strides this year and we're motivated mm-hmm. by it. So I think it's yeah. it's healthy for the sport because you want to see these rivalries. And I think Sinner and Alcaraz, if we get that in like, the next 10 years, like, sign me yeah, up because yeah. yeah, I yeah, love sure. the way their games match up. Yeah, it, it, it's like there's a new urgency like when they play. Like they see what Alcaraz is doing and they go from yeah. thinking like, I have what, however many number of years to like make every part of my game click, but they see him yeah. and they're like, oh, he's doing it already. So like, I, I need to get going now. And Sinner has kind of been blowing my mind because um, I used to think like his peak level was his issue and like everything was pretty good, but like if he came up against a peaking rival, he was going to lose. And then at Wimbledon, huh. he, he beats Alcaraz in four. Um, yeah. He takes two sets off of Djokovic Um and he's doing little things like he's sliding on grass. He's hitting like these Del Potro-esque running forehands. Um, yep. He's blasting. Still doing that, by the way. So yeah. if he can keep and, that up. Wow. Exactly. And, and now um, in Umag, he breadsticks yeah. Alcaraz twice in a row. So any doubts about I had about his peak level are completely gone. Um, he's doing great. Um, like as far as Alcaraz goes, I like I think it's as simple as like earlier this year, 
he was in a purple patch, everything was working. That is maybe not the case anymore. Yeah. Doesn't really alter how I feel about him long term. Like yeah. you are going to have peaks yeah. and dips in your form. Yeah. Happens to everyone. He's still well, like you said, Vaughn's still like number two in the race. So yeah, yeah. like and he made two finals in a row. Race. Like come on, like uh, it's it's not, not a bad result. Like like it, yeah, if yeah, this is bad for him, yeah. Yeah, and he was not playing well in most of these matches. So on one hand, you could look at it and be like, okay, that's a sign of like a great player because he could have easily lost in the first round of Hamburg. He could have lost in a semifinal where he rolled his ankle and it seemed doubtful that he was even going to play the final. And then he recovered from that and won the third set. And yeah. he had all the pressure on him as well. Um, but And then, you know, in this match, I guess if we can break it down, he was playing, he was playing, they both were kind of not really having a solution on the other guy's serve throughout the first set and it just went to a tie break. And Alcaraz plays this unbelievable set point. He's up 5-1 in the tie break. And Sinner comes all the way back. And you're thinking, oh, no, this has gotten really complicated. And Sinner hits this ridiculous first serve, yeah. like out wide on the ad side. Alcaraz, Alcaraz gets it back, like a great return. Sinner, Sinner hits a really good plus one, comes forward. And out of nowhere, I don't know how Alcaraz did it. Like very few in the game can do this. And he just, he hits like this insane cross-court forehand on the stretch, on the defense. And Sinner misses the volley and, you know, maybe he could have moved closer in and maybe maybe done a bit better there. But my goodness, how did he get that ball back? Yeah. And and I, I want to talk a bit about Sinner's turnaround in the second set because he was down 0-1, serving at 0-1. And then Alcaraz mm-hmm. hits three winners in a row to get to love 43 break yep. points. Had something like six break points in the game. Um, and, and the shot at love 30 was ridiculous as well, right? Yeah, because he uh, that passing winner off the, off the overhead. Yeah. yeah. So, like... So demoralizing, right? Like momentum is against you, like down break points, and not because you really screwed up because your opponent is peaking. So what do you do there? And Sinner gets out of all the break points, holds, then breaks Alcaraz in the next game and never looks back. Like that's that's yeah. ice cold stuff. Um, so yeah, v- very, very impressed with him. Really excited to see what both mm-hmm. of them do at the US Open because I feel like m- maybe not in the top tier of title contenders quite yet, but like just a shade below that. Like I think, you know, if, if a Nadal Nadal goes out or if Medvedev goes out, um, either of them could win the title. I think in terms of winning like seven best of five matches in a row, like don't think they're quite there yet, mm-hmm. but they're getting very close. Yeah. Um something if I if you do want to be critical of Alcaraz, something in this game, um, you know, kind of the amount of returns he was missing on these big points yeah. and just how his game went off the boil. Was was something I hadn't seen, and I think mentally this was one of the worst matches he's played. Which is like, you know, I mean, if this is the worst, then I mm-hmm. guess that says, yeah, that says everything about the. Hype. But like, you know, at love at fifteen forty, Alcaraz misses the second serve backhand return in the net, and then at Deuce, like Alcaraz, Alcaraz finally makes that return, and you're thinking, oh, you should have made that at fifteen forty, you know, mm-hmm. and then you know, and then he has center saves three more big points, but I think on three of those points he missed the same backhand return over and over, mm-hmm. like the, on the second serve. And he just he kept on trying to take it really early, like he would sort of on a hard court and yeah. just like on the rise. Um, I think he would have been better off, like you know, maybe standing a few feet behind the baseline and just like playing that shot with more margin. Because I did feel like in the baseline rallies, I've been going sort of back and forth about this. Like, where did Sinner have the edge in this rivalry? If you looked at it before, and I always thought, okay, maybe it's backhand to backhand. But then I started to see Alcaraz like do some amazing things at this backhand, like throughout the whole season. So I was like is Alcaraz's backhand like actually better than Sinner's? Because like, you know, and then I, and then I saw this matchup twice and I'm now I'm starting to think, okay, actually Sinner does really sort of have that edge backhand to backhand. And he just, his baseline consistency is just sort of superior at the moment. And every time Alcaraz had attacking shots that he could do something with on the backhand, he was mm. just like missing a lot of them or he was, you know, sometimes the forehand is some, can be yeah. like the shot that breaks down for Alcaraz. He can make a, a lot of errors for him and, in big moments and then he sort of for his plan b he sort of goes to the drop shots quite a bit and yeah. um you know that's <laughs> apart from that i think he just needs to play with a little more margin you know he's such a great athlete he can use his speed mm-hmm. a lot more than he is right now in yeah. some of these situations and yeah. like, I, I think he'll figure it I out i think that for just, Akra is the, the issue that i might see like with him in a sense and uh it's not necessarily some sort of an issue it's more like um like just fine tuning his um his game in that sense is just because I feel like he suffers from like over eagerness. So like he he gets so excited that sometimes he just kind of like wants to go for that shot. And maybe that's not the best decision, but like as in like this 
the fact that he's won two of the four Masters 1000s that he's played this year like m- makes it such that like we know that he is capable of making good shots and good decisions. But sometimes he comes up short, like as in like you said, like and maybe when he's he's not playing his best, like um, he might come crashing a little too hard and just like kind of like regulating his level and just like his state of mind during a match like that has so much uh, emotions like this and like when he's not maybe not playing well or he has a he has a chance to go like for a shot that could break and maybe decide the match like that's something that maybe he needs to kind of like just mentally adjust but it's not an adjustment that I don't think that he will make um, on the contrary I think that he will make it and be good to go like by next year like as early as next year maybe even this year he's, he should be able yeah. to like pull it off i'm excited to see like how he does it like in the atp yeah, finals it, it, mm-hmm. and like you said it's good to remember he's won two masters 1000s this year because that is more than stan favorinka has won in his entire career so like yeah. that's and that's the sort of thing that should be remembered when you talk about him being overhyped or not like I think for me, the the thing that's been hurting him this year is that when he has a lull, it kind of tends to last a while. Like, if you look at his losses, Berrettini yeah. at the Australian Open didn't really get going until halfway through the second set. Um, Zverev at Roland Garros, like, didn't really get going until the third set. Sinner at Wimbledon, same thing. Uh, and then in this match, like, good in the first set, good at the start of the second set, not really so good for the rest of the match. And so I think if he can limit those lulls when he has them to, like, a few games or one set rather than two sets, um, I think he'll be much, much harder to beat. Yeah. And then, of course, like you said, it's just sort of fine-tuning. Like, you know, no one is saying he's going to dominate the sport now. Like, he's 19. Yeah. So if he's not... Like, you know, maybe you can come back to me in two years, and if he hasn't made a slam final by then, then we can sort of have that discussion again. And then, you know, maybe then we can sort of recalibrate. But it's, it seems like, you know, he's like like some of those things like you know his serve like his spot serving can get a little bit better the consistency when he's not playing when he's not when he doesn't have his game so he doesn't go off the boil that dramatically for that long i think is something he can work on for sure um and then you know just like sort of those panic drop shots and sort of yeah sort of you know like even even yeah Yeah. like a lot of panic drop shots like back in his day pretty sad to see like he did a lot of those uh of this against nadal and so many times just because like nadal's so good at, like defending um but yeah like it's i guess it's pretty normal and here you go another um another comparison between alcaraz and Djokovic. <laughs> so yeah um yeah i, I mean it's it, like drop shots are kind of funny like i mean federer has a very famous quote where he says um like it's kind of a panic shot i thought back in the day and like I, I think it can be a panic shot, but like when, when the drop shots kind of flow naturally as part of everything else um, and are just like another way to finish a point rather than like the central way to finish a point, they work, they're devastating. Like, I mean, the way Alcaraz has used them this year, like other players started to pick up on it and started to do it as well. Like it's, it completely keeps your opponent guessing because like if you can either hit like a massive forehand or a drop shot that's going to die a foot over the net like what are you supposed to do um so like I, I do agree that sometimes when things aren't working like he'll get a little trigger happy with the drop shots hit some bad ones but i mean for the most part it's an amazing shot yeah and then i mean center the way he was playing in that third set he just sort of that was peak peak center like at yeah. the very end you know once alcaraz lost the serve he never looked back he never even gave alcaraz a sniff and he was, you know, so steady from the, from the from the back of the court and doing so much damage. That court, running forehand that you're talking about, it's on path to be like the next best, you know, running forehand combo. Like you know, it's kind of reminding me of Del Potro. Like if he can keep it up yeah. and do this, keep on doing this after in every tournament, along with the improvements in his serve and his, and just I, I just love how he hits to such a big targets, but he's still playing really aggressive, and you feel like he has a lot more margin in his game. And he's not missing nearly as much, but it's still really potent. Like his speeds on his forehand and backhand ground strokes are like about the same. Mm-hmm. It's very even off both wings. So that's something that's that's really, really positive. And then obviously his mentality, like when he's down low 40 and I've seen him escape and save many match points and save, you know, come up with big surplus ones and big points. And I think now that he has Darren Cahill on his team as well, I think that's pretty big because Darren Cahill knows how to win big matches. 
sure. having coached many, many players in the past. And he actually said something really interesting in commentary. Um, Ravi Uba, I think, mentioned this. But he was saying that Darren Cahill was saying that um, playing on the clay before you go to the hard courts is easier than is an easier transition than going from hard to clay in a sense. Because on the clay, you can sort of work on your consistency. You can work on your fitness. You can work on sort of building and constructing points. And then it's easier to sort of transfer that, you know, that knowledge and that uh, those that match play, it's easier to do that in hard mm. courts. So it's kind of interesting because normally this time of the year, you think, oh, you know, post-Wimbledon clay doesn't really mean a whole lot. But I think it can actually be quite useful mm. for, for a player like Sinner yeah. who has such a strong base. And yeah. you, can, you can probably go from clay to hard, like no problem. Yeah. Um, so do you guys want to yeah. make some U.S. Open predictions? It's a long way off, but, and, and I, I mean, I guess we can talk about that more generally. Like, I guess for each tour, like, who are three players who, who you expect to kind of win the Lions' share of the big titles? For I the think the U.S. The Open is really up for grabs. Oh, for the rest of the year? Or just getting everything? Yeah, for... but like, like, like ATP and WGA, mm-hmm. like, who are the three players who are going to be the best in the world from now until the end of the season? Well, I think for the men's, you know, you, you have to look no further than Nadal. <laughs> I mean, if he's, if he's like somewhat decently healthy, I guess, in Canada, you can't really rule him out um, the way he's played all year. And he won the U.S. Open in 2019 and he's won Canada like five times. And you just kind of have to see like how these, how Washington and these other two tournaments go. But I think, you know, without and having no matches right now, like for any of them, I'd have to say like Nadal, Medvedev, and then third, maybe maybe Alcaraz like I can't really think I mean Sinner is a great candidate but I feel like you know he still has ways to go in terms of his fitness and in best of five and I'm not I, I need to see a, you know a f- more from him like in these next two weeks for me to like really be putting him up there and in terms of the contender contenders I guess there's no Djokovic as well yeah. most likely yeah, I was gonna say like I so, I mean to Alcaraz, the end of the year is, Nadal's if he if he's healthy like definitely like top three um i think medvedev um i think he could still like do some damage uh by the by the end of the year he normally plays well during this time anyway so i think i still believe i think he can still defend his title even in the in the u.s open i think he will be he'll be excited about it yeah he'll be yeah he hasn't won a title yeah. this year yeah. which is kind of interesting to think about yeah he's lost his last five finals but he's playing this year yeah. in in Los Cabos, which is a two fifty so, yeah. Mexico instead. I would, I would definitely pick Washington. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely pick Nadal and, and Medvedev, and uh, I think Tsitsipas could be like a like a third one. Maybe Alcaraz. Like depends on like who is more consistent. Like uh, Tsitsipas hasn't been as consistent, but like if he picks it up, I think it could be sort of like on, on a good level. Um, but yeah, like between yeah. yeah, this is usually the part of the year where Medvedev yeah, exactly. is, is incredible and Tsitsipas yeah. is. Sort of the first half of the year where he's really good, and then this half of the year he sort of goes away a little bit. But I think that that because people aren't talking about him and the yeah. expectations are low, well, he could actually um, do some. Yeah, but Tsitsipas some has has things. been to the final of uh, Canada once and to the semifinal last year, and he's won the ATP yeah. finals before. Yeah. So I don't think that he's he's that far off, yes. like he's reaching his a uh, good level in there. Like if he's finding, if he if he can find like whatever is bothering him, like in his game that he's not able to like. Um, play as well or like be as effective so yeah yeah I think it's yeah, good I, that he hasn't played in many tournaments like he hasn't played any tournaments mm-hmm. the last four or five weeks because he usually plays quite a bit so it's good that he's kind of yeah. taking this time off I think he'll be ready to yeah. be more mm-hmm. fresh than a lot of players this time yeah G- great opportunity to break out of the yeah. slump at the at the very least Um, yeah and yeah I, I agree with you guys I feel like Nadal you have to put up there Medvedev Usually does well this time of the season, and then number three, like, still lean Alcaraz a little bit over Sinner, but I think Sinner yeah. could absolutely take that spot if um, yeah. if he continues the way he's been playing. Um, and yeah. then thoughts on the oh, and just a note here that like, I don't think Djokovic has dropped his levels; just he's not playing. So like, there's not much to say in here the, out of the fact that he yeah. unfortunately cannot compete. But yeah, back to the WTA is just uh um, well, Igish Fiontech and, and the rest. <laughs> I don't really know exactly like what to say. Like, um, kind of lost track a little bit. Like, who's number two right now? Is it Annette Kontaveit? Mean, I think Ons Jabbar is going to be up there. Um, yeah, Ons. Yeah, it's, it's Ons. I'm curious to see where her head is at and uh, yeah. when she plays in San Jose. I think we'll learn a lot more with these. But like, generally, the players who have done 
pretty well in these warm-ups I've done. Yeah. Like I think back to Andrescu when she won Canada and then she won, kind of won the US Open and um, the year, years before. Like I think mm-hmm. Osaka still like, I just cannot rule her out, especially if she plays yeah. well these next three weeks. I think she has to be like up gonna, there in the top three yeah. for me. Who do you think is going to end um, then, in the ranking? Maybe Anissa yeah. Samova. I don't know. Anissa yeah. Samova, Fernandez. True. Kind of yeah. hard to tell. Uh, are you asking about uh, Heroes number one? Finish top three, I guess, like in the WTA, you think? Top three. That's a good question because the rankings. So, I mean, Iga has yeah. a lead of almost 4,000 points. And then after that, um, two through five are all within 500 points of each other. It's Contivate, Sakari, Bedosa, and Jabor in that order. I feel like Jabor could make the yeah. leap from five to two. Um, she's been great. Um, yeah. Three, I really don't know. Because um, after Javor, it's Sabalenka, Pagula, Muguruza, Collins, and Raducanu to finish the top 10. And like none of them have particularly been huge factors mm-hmm. in the biggest tournaments this year. You know, Collins at the Australian Open. But besides that, I I, I mean, Pagula has been very consistent, but I don't know if I see yeah. her as a top three player quite yet. Um, yeah. I, I feel like Sakari could yeah. stay in the I was going to say, spot. just by... <laughs> By uh, by elimination, like Sakari ends up like in the top three, sort of like Contavate. Contavate, by the way, has a ton of points to defend um, at the end of the year, right now. So yeah, right, yeah, that monster yeah. indoor season last year. Um, but I, I mean, not just that, but Sakari has done some great things this year. I mean, um, I think it, Indian Wells final. Um, I think uh, she's, she's come close to some titles. Like hasn't yeah. had that breakthrough yet. But I like I, I strongly believe that if she continues like with the level she's been at she will mm-hmm. she will make that breakthrough at some point um yeah. I, 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 think I was for... looking at the race and i see um you know jabor is number two golf is number three pagula is number four sakari is number five and yeah Kazakina is golf number could six, be another one for sure Bedosa seven like b- between like two and seven is a gap yeah. of like 900 points so it's like yeah. and then you have shviontek over seven thousand, <laughs> and Bedosa is uh, I mean, Jabor is 2,990, yeah. so, mm-hmm. wow, like 4,500 points. But, it's going to be interesting um, next year to see how she with all the points that she's won this year. But, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, at, at the same time, there will be places yeah. where she can pick up points, like Australian Open, Wimbledon. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with that much to depend. Um, I, I think it's very rare that anyone follows yeah. up. A season that dominant with an equally dominant season um but yeah i i think for me going forward the rest of the year my my eyes are most on shiontek osaka and um had the third one in my head and then completely Jibor, forgot yeah. uh, and jibor sorry um like i i feel like um jibor and shiontek are the two most informed players on tour right now and osaka being so good on hard courts i feel like i feel like at the very least she'll make one crazy run uh going forward re- the rest of the year and at best she could be pretty yeah. dominant so yeah I, it's interesting I, I really yeah i really put a little bit more stock on the wta finals than i do in the atp finals um but i do i do wonder who's gonna end yeah. up with that title i feel like um they really want it yeah yeah or who's yeah. even gonna qualify because the way these draws are right now you know, the way women's tennis is right now, you have amazing matches in the first week of a major yeah. or in the early rounds of these 500s and 1000s. And then, like, they sort of kill each other in the first week. And then you're sort of, you look at the second week and you're like, okay, so now yeah. these guys are there that I didn't expect. And then and then it's sort of like, so you have an amazing, awesome first week. And then, and then you sort of have, like, a really good story in the second week as opposed to, like... Yeah really awesome rivalries but it's like it's like a really good contrast because i feel like how in the world like like because i'm just going through the race right now and i see like you know ostapenko and halop and contivate and collins and these are like yeah. just right outside the top 10 and same with like you know benchich and Bedosa. like these players have all done something or the other this year like either made a final or won a title or like i think shiantek is the only player to have won more than one title and then you have like bernardo <laughs> Uh, Hadad Maya <laughs> one two two each like it's it's basically Shviantek and the field and then you're like like if you were to sort of pick though between like Shviantek and the field for the U.S. Open like who would you go for like for the French Open it was more sort of yeah. fifty one it was like more you could lean more towards Shviantek yeah. but in this case I, I think it's closer I I, I think it, it's tough yeah. 
I, I would still go make with the field, I think. Yeah. I think mm. I'd go with the field too. I just feel like that's fair. Do you guys think Nadal is going to? I mean, this yeah. is absolutely 100% too soon to talk anything about Nadal, but um, Djokovic might not play. Do you guys think that uh, Nadal wins uh, ATP finals this year? <laughs> Finally, to complete like the, the, the deck of cards? <laughs> I no. really don't know. I think, honestly, a lot depends on his, yeah. a lot depends on his injuries. Um, a lot depends on <laughs> kind of like that's the time of the year where he's like yeah. the most vulnerable. And, you know, I thought he might do it in 2020. Yeah. And, but then you have like, yeah, I, I think the I think that's the you, you do like wonder like what really does Nadal well, so I think, want yeah. to his career in his career at this point? Like, I mean, maybe he wants to widen the gap between him and Djokovic. Maybe he wants to complete like all of the big tournaments. Maybe he wants to just kind of have fun. I, I have no idea what Nadal wants at this point in his career. Like zero clue. Yeah, I I think he does really want to win that tournament. Like I remember in 2020 when he lost that semi to yeah. Medvedev, he was really upset. Um, like un- uncommonly so. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to happen for him. I like his chances at the U.S. Open better. Um, than at the ATP Finals. Like even Djokovic has not won this tournament since 2015. Um, yeah, and Nadal's never won it. So it just That's gets true. tougher as you get older, and it's never yeah. been his best. So yeah, I think it would be like for him just staying healthy as long as he possibly can to like peak and win majors and then just sort of if anything else feels mm-hmm. like in sight maybe just go for it like I, I think the 1000s are don't mean that much to him like yeah. they used to unless it's yeah. a build up to the french open and then atp finals if he's like really healthy at that yeah. time of the year i, I do think so i definitely think he it. plays if he's yeah healthy, like for sure yeah and, and he's gonna he has a good hmm. chance of finishing the year number one um, because he's, I, I like, think he will. That yeah. much ahead. Like, so, and Djokovic isn't going to play much. But yeah, Andre, it's kind of interesting to think about what he wants because he's had an amazingly successful year, and it kind of feels like he's been miserable for a lot of it with like that yeah. Indian Wells injury and the Wimbledon thing, like, and and the clay season, like his foot, like he was devastated after that. Um, it kind of feels like a like a wildly passionate relationship mm. that's doomed to fail in the end. You know what I mean? Like. Like he's he's been so successful all his career in this year, and it feels like, in theory, this is what you would want, right? Like he's won two of the three majors, and yet it doesn't feel sustainable. Like I think it's all the mm. injuries are wearing on him more mm. than they have in the past. So I, I have no idea like what he wants. I think I kind of feel like he just wants this, yeah. but with fewer injuries. So yeah, I think he'll want to be happy for his nice little reunion yeah. with the Big Four Labor Cup. <laughs> that's gonna oh be hilarious goodness. um i i can't i can't wait to see who gets partnered uh, up in doubles um yeah don't I, you just want to see like all those you know like i just want to see all all the big four like play each other like with each other in doubles like i want to see yeah. Djokovic and Nadal play once yeah all the same it would be better yeah, if they yeah, were on definitely. opposite teams <laughs> they might just like make it yeah, yeah. <laughs> who 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 so Who team came world up right with the now, idea of have, Europe versus world. <laughs> right now we have Felix, Jack Sock, Diego uh-huh. Schwartzman, and Taylor Fritz. Curious is curious, not playing. He just announced as today. hard as it is oh. to say that that is a guy that I would put to like win a match. Like the feel as it is right now, it, uh, it's, it's, it's rough. <laughs> I I mean yeah, yeah even yeah. with that third set tiebreak thing to help Team World's yeah. chances, like it's it's not going to be enough. Like They're it was just so funny. Need to rely yeah. on their double skills. Yeah, I guess that's why they probably have Jack Sock. But. Yeah, it was. I mean, he'll pull his weight by a mile. Um, but like, it was funny because the first two years it was close, and then the third year yeah. it was like twelve to one or something. And it was like, yeah, last okay, year was when I really felt like, good. okay, this is a mismatch. Like yeah. the, the previous three years before that, I was like, okay, at least it came down to like whatever the last yeah. two games. And I mean, to be fair, I, would, Sunday, I think I would still have picked John Isner to go. Like, yeah, yeah I, I mean, he beat yeah, it yeah. all there in 2017. Like you, y- yeah. you need you need someone like that. I think yeah. I would still pick John Isner as well. I wonder if he'll yeah. play actually. Yeah. yeah, I wonder who the other two players will be as well. Yeah, like and, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised stuff. if by the end of it they just put Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer in the doubles, like because why not? <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to be yeah. interesting though because maybe like you know Murray not being the same player he used to be and Federer coming back after. Over a year, like maybe well, it'll I mean, if you have Djokovic and Nadal in the same team, right, maybe it's hard to even out, like with pretty much anything. You, you yeah. gotta if, pair those two up, right? If, I mean, if Nadal is like you know a little iffy with his injuries, and Djokovic is maybe rusty because he hasn't played like since Wimbledon, <laughs> I'm not sure. 
I, I think you have to yeah. pair off Djokovic and Nadal to like, yeah. it, I mean, it, unless Federer comes back and is True. like serving as well as he ever has. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, which is possible, yeah. but yeah. Um, you guys have anything else to add? Not sure. I, I was um, just going to say that like a, a wild take would be for Nadal to skip the US Open and focus on ATP finals. <laughs> as, as wild a take as it ever gets. Yeah. I, I don't think he wants it that bad. <laughs> That, that is wild. Just go for the tournaments exactly. you've never won yeah. and just try to win those. But I mean, that's, I, I guess yeah. that the slam race is probably more I do think. I do think that he wants to go for Wimbledon, I guess, one more time as well. I think that those could be like a few of his priorities, just like the Australian yeah. Open in the sense that like he took so long for him to win another one. Could be sort of the same for Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. Thinking of going for things, isn't it great yeah. to see Serena and Venus play like three tournaments in a row. I do US think that Open. they retired the US Open. <laughs> Maybe not Serena, but yeah, Venus almost I mean, 100%. They never thought they would play again. And now you have... Like, even if Venus just plays four matches, it's just so great to see her back. Like She doesn't yeah. need to be doing this. She's been on tour for 28 years. And oh my God. Like, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's like two-thirds of her life. She's <laughs> 28 years. I, and I, I kind of feel like they won't retire at the end mm. of the US Open. Like, I, I, don't, like, yeah. like, I, I think Serena had a pretty yeah. good level at Wimbledon. And, um, and you know, I, I honestly think that was the match of the tournament. Movement was good. I think yeah, the match of the tournament was Tan was versus good. Serena Williams. Yeah. And Serena Williams, I think, has realized that, okay, I can, I, can actually rear, I can actually do really good things at the US Open if I just play Cincinnati yeah. and Canada before. And she hasn't yeah. done that since 2015. So like she's yeah, really going Serena has just like all the good so shots good. that she needs to succeed. She doesn't even need to be like that, like fit in the sense like to be fast and yeah. running and defending. Yeah. She just needs her serve matches. to be to be going because it's the best serve ever on the WTA. And she needs her both ground strokes to be like firing as well. So she can punch returns, like punch return winners all the time, put pressure on any second serve out there. And she's she's gold. Like she doesn't even need to run out that much, to be fair. So, in a way, like Venus's loss yesterday was kind of similar to yeah. Serena's at to ten. Like because you know, like they played they played great. Like for they could they were in the match and it was like three hours long. Yeah. And so physically, yeah. you know, you think okay, that's pretty positive. They haven't played in a year, but they just couldn't close, and that's normal if you haven't played in over a year. Do so. you guys think uh, Serena yeah. wins another Grand Slam? I don't think she uh, wins it I, don't, I don't think so, but I think she'll she she could go for it, and I think if she survives the first the gauntlet that is the first three rounds or four rounds, I think she could absolutely get deep in the tournament, like similar to how she did in twenty twenty um, at U.S. Open. She played uh, Azarenka in the semifinals there, and then in twenty twenty one Australian mm-hmm. Open, she made the semis there, and before that, she made four finals. So I feel like she could do it. She can. Chances are yeah, definitely slimmer, but who knows? Yeah, and yeah. I guess that's it. Yeah, and maybe this is the last one. Maybe it's not, but I think it's it's we should for just sure, cherish yeah. what, what all we definitely have. Definitely watching uh, a few of the Serena matches. It's good that they played all the way until now because that means that they will have HD matches for us to watch of those two now, and not just like those crappy ninety-seven, ninety-eight matches <laughs> that. Pretty much. Great stuff, guys. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining. Um, this is always a good time to talk tennis with you guys. And uh, excited to be back. And uh, wish me luck. I'll be working at the National Bank Open, the Canadian Open next week in Canada. So uh, you'll be rough. Hopefully, I'll see Nadal. Yes. And uh, yeah. Um, after that, we'll do an episode totally, like yeah. detailing your experience brutal. and stuff. <laughs> Max, yeah, yeah, well, pretty excited to review yeah. to review Canada with you, and yeah. uh, hope you have a great right. time there. And you, uh, you know, you keep the Tennis Canada yeah. account All as right. awesome as it always is on Twitter. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah, I'll do sure. my best, and uh, see you guys later. Right. Uh, you can follow us at yeah. Tennis and Bagels on Twitter. You follow Vansh at Vansh P2K and on is at Tennisation. Follow Popcorn Tennis at Popcorn Tennis underscore one, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's popcorn underscore okay, tennis yeah. one. I'm not completely we'll put sure it in the myself, description. But if you put yeah. popcorn tennis, it's definitely the in the description. And they have over a thousand followers now. So yeah. Uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you guys later. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.